Hello and welcome to the Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA. I'm your host, Josh. I appreciate you joining me as I explore new ways of making recovery more accessible to folks that may struggle with the God aspects of some recovery programs. All are welcome here. The primary purpose of this podcast is to read from the big book through the eyes of an atheist and try to make sense of all the God stuff that's in there. Along the way, I hope to hear and share the stories of others while learning other ways of keeping sober. Hopefully, this results in others learning as well. I'm, I'm just going to get right into it. There's a couple interactions that I've had recently that I feel like I, I need to talk about because it honestly pertains to exactly the reason why I started this podcast, why I feel like it's important. You know, my sort of struggle with my path in Alcoholics Anonymous overall. As I've said, and as what seems probably pretty obvious to folks, is I am an atheist in AA. While folks that are not atheist or agnostic feel that this shouldn't be a big deal, it is. It, it, it ends up being something of a big deal. I had an interaction with, uh, with the app that I actually use to read from, uh, the big book from. Uh, there's a community that you can interact with. I posted in the community that, hey, just as a heads up, there are other forms of Alcoholics Anonymous that you can take. There are quad A options. There are atheist and agnostic secular meetings that you can go to um, so that you don't have to feel like you're forced into this kind of higher power that you may not agree with or and you don't have to, you know, leave anything off the table or pretend or hide your true self. And... But I didn't attack anything. I didn't attack regular AA. I just I just wanted it to be pretty known that there's other ways of doing this because I know people struggle and they don't say anything about it because they're met with like that fucking barrage of bullshit where people, you know, remind you that, well, you have to have a higher power or you're going to drink your, you know, your, your spirituality has to come first. And God is a part of this program, even if it's not religious. And rather than just saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're welcome here. That's all you fucking need to do. If there's any believers here that are having a struggle with how to respond to somebody who says they're an atheist, you fucking accept them into the program, period. You don't try to convert them. You don't tell them, well, you're an atheist for now. You don't try to tell them that if they do the program correctly, then they'll come around to a spiritual awakening and they'll suddenly find God insinuating that they're not doing it correctly because they haven't. You don't fucking say any of that shit. Stop. Gatekeeping. Recovery. That's exactly what the whole post was met with. There was one person that was like, hey, thanks. Everybody else that was on that fucking comment chain, all of them. Well, it is just, you know, it's all about blah, 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 blah. But you can be secular, just kind of keep it to yourself kind of bullshit. None of that's acceptable. There were a few people that tried to make it seem like that it was okay that I was an atheist as long as I didn't talk too much about it. There was one person that straight up told me that if I'm an atheist in AA, then I probably should reconsider going in general and find a different group. Maybe this isn't for you. And when I called him out on that, he deleted his comment and made it seem like I was crazy. Tried gaslighting me. Enough experience with my ex-girlfriends have shown me exactly what gaslighting looks like. I wasn't going to put up with that. Now, on one hand, yeah, it seems like maybe I'm in, uh, instigating something, right? Because all these people that are constantly posted about Jesus Christ and God as their savior and, and the higher, higher power that they believe in, when I come off and I start talking about the fact that I don't, it must be some sort of antagonistic thing. Nope, it sure fucking isn't. Absolutely not. 100% is not. If 100 people can talk about God, one person can at least fucking be comfortable enough to share about the fact that they don't believe in one without it being antagonistic. If anybody feels antagonized by that, then they need to consider their own emotions about the situation. I should be able to share about my lack of a higher power as comfortably as anybody's willing to talk about Jesus or fucking Yahweh or the prophet of whoever, period. That's just the end of the line. 
my first thought goes to the newcomer. There's newcomers that are using this app and they're going to look in that comment section and they're going to be like, God damn, I better keep this to myself. I better not tell people that I'm an atheist. Clearly, I am not fucking welcome in traditional meetings. Or, God damn, AA sure is culty. It's just as culty as everybody said it was. Look at how culty AA is. And if that wasn't enough, right? Like, it's just a few people that use this app. It's not that great of a big deal outside of the fact that it may have affected a few people. And it got me riled up. Like, it really upset me. I might have a fucking resentment I'm going to have to work through. We're going to find out when I talk to my sponsor. I feel like maybe I'm working on a good solid one. I'm cooking it slowly over the fire. It's not overall traditional AA. I don't enter a room expecting... I try not to enter a room expecting that if I share that I'm an atheist, I'm going to be met with this kind of fucking hostility, right? This idea that, hey, buddy, if you just work the fourth, you know, if you just work the steps as they're written, why, by golly, the miracle will happen and Jesus Christ will enter your soul and save you from damnation. I don't expect that. But man, it's getting really hard not to, is what I'm saying. It's getting really hard for me to think that I'm going to be welcome at the next meeting I go to and I open up about the fact that my truth is different, even though I apply the steps exactly as they're supposed to be applied. So the other interaction that I had was this uh, Facebook group that I joined. I've I've been trying to be a little bit more involved online so that throughout my day I can participate in some of this stuff while also kind of just interacting with folks and sharing the fact that I'm an atheist, maybe even the fact that I have a podcast. Um, It hasn't come up organically often enough for me to really be plugging it. You know, I don't just drop the link, spam the pages. But if somebody's like, hey, I'm struggling right, you know, with the big book, I mentioned the fact that I have a podcast about that. Anyways, I joined a group called Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I make a point of saying that they're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous and that their rules are fairly simple. You know, keep the, the posting about alcoholism and your relationship with the program. Pretty much it. Don't spam the page. Uh, don't post any links. You know, that's for the mods and the admin to do. Uh, I already had kind of a weird interaction at one point where I did try to post a link and I was like, hey, why did my thing get taken down? And they said, well, you know, you tried to post this link, but also we try to keep it only approved literature. And I was like, it's the pamphlet, the God word. It's approved literature. And they're like, well, well, I don't know. It is, but it's not. We try to keep it simple. I'm like, oh, okay. I know exactly what kind of situation this is. So anyways, I've been keeping it pretty clean in there. I've been not really super, you know, posty about my, my atheism, you know, where just to, in case I rustle some feathers. Uh, and I didn't even, I didn't even make the original post. What I did was respond to a question of the group. The, the question was on the 12, 12 step, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. The question was, what does this mean? I mean, it's pretty simple. All the answers, though, were, well, you worked with God and Jesus Christ and our Lord and Savior and, you know, typical stuff, which was fine. I said in my response, most everybody has the same answer here, so it's pretty clear. But I just want to point out that the spiritual experience doesn't have to be of a supernatural or metaphysical nature. It can be that of a psychological nature. It doesn't have to be anything spiritual. The response I got was from an admin asking me where in the book does it say that? And I said, well, in the book in general, it talks about a psychic change that can occur. And it talks about our moral character changing due to this psychic event. And I also said that this has been my experience in secular AA. The response I got was, well, this isn't secular AA. We try to keep things simple here. We don't want to muddy the waters. We just want to talk about AA stuff. So keep it AA. 
And my response to that was, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, World Services has approved secular and recognized the secular uh, AA and agnostic AA. So secular AA is AA. And that I wasn't saying anything that was outside of the rules that were posted. I wasn't saying anything that was derogatory, attacking, accusatory. And the person responded with some other bullshit. Actually, you know what? I have the receipts right here. I'll just go ahead and read the goddamn thing. Uh, the original post was, what does this mean? Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to the alcoholic and the uh, practice these principles in all our affairs. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 60. My reply was, just keep in mind that spiritual doesn't have to mean metaphysical or supernatural. Just having clarity of thought or realizing your path, uh, path clearly can be the same thing. Once you have that, the best way to keep it is to give that experience away via story and service. I feels like that's pretty pretty straightforward the reply from the moderator a different moderator where does it say that in the big book when i said it might not say that in those exact words but when it talks about a psychic change it's speaking of a uh, psychological change aside from that secular aa expresses this more than traditional aa the response that I got from the admin, a different one, one that I've had a, uh, experience with in the past, uh, said you might benefit from reading page 567 in the 4th edition big book, Spiritual Experience. Please keep your sharing relating to traditional AA as that is our focus. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope in AA. Just AA. Thanks. And I took a minute here before replying because my first thought was, what the fuck do you think I was doing? That was my experience, strength, and hope in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't imagine why you would think it was anything different outside of the fact that I didn't bring up Jesus. What I ended up replying was secular AA is recognized by the AA World Services and there are approved pamphlets dealing with atheists, agnostics, and AA. My experience, strength, and hope is derived from secular AA. The brand Jim Burwell fought for when they wrote the book, the same atheist who helped shape the 12 steps. I don't see it mentioned in the rules that this is uh, traditional AA only, and any experience in secular AA wasn't welcomed. Why is there so much of an effort in keeping secular AA out of traditional spaces? Traditional AA folks would never be told what to share in secular spaces. I got in my feelings a little bit and followed up with, I've read the big book multiple times, read the 12 by 12, attended conferences, been a GSR for traditional and secular AA groups, attended plenty of business meetings. I do the steps, I work with newcomers, I work the program and live the program in all of my affairs, but because it's secular-based AA principles, I have to keep them to myself? What could possibly be the reason for that? The response was, well, I'm impressed. I requested that you keep your shares traditional AA and you dragged out your resume. Sorry, you feel intimidated. This Facebook page is simple. We have a focus. We like to keep the limits in line with how we live our AA lives. That's all. Nobody attacked your credentials. I suggest you check the 12 by 12 on the spirit spiritual axiom. I love it when they hit with the fucking, you know, super passive aggressive, like, maybe you should read this passage of the big book and you'll understand where you, you secular folks really belong. My reply, you told me I can't share my secular AA experience and said only traditional AA was allowed. Only AA. But secular AA is AA. I drug my resume out because it's gatekeeping to tell me I'm only allowed to express traditional AA thoughts in a group that calls itself Alcoholics Anonymous. I am speaking in line with how I live my AA life, but you're telling me that isn't allowed. How is that simple? This is exactly the kind of thing that Jim Burwell and others had such a hard time with. AA is meant to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Literally the words out of Bill W.'s mouth. I suggest you read the, the God word. 
and try to open your mind to the fact that there are other humans using this program to stay sober that aren't in line with your version. Gatekeeping needs to stop and it's going to lead to people dying because you and people like you are keeping people from finding their path into AA. I spoke no hate speech. I broke no rules. But if you're telling me that what I wrote isn't acceptable, then it's not me that was and is intimidated. It's you and folks like you who refuse to accept others have different views and have adopted this program to fit their beliefs or lack of it. Lack of open-mindedness is curable. And, you know, the result of that was they took my post down and kicked me out of the group. A group calling themselves Alcoholics Anonymous has decided that because I have secular views that I openly express, I am not allowed in there. I can't fucking imagine how they could possibly sleep at night or call themselves members of this program. They fucking clearly missed the entire point. And why I'm so riled up about this, I spoke about this on the in the Twitter group that I'm in and in a few other places, and it turns out that this isn't a very uncommon thing. In Toronto, there was a, a the inner group there kicked all of the secular members out. They, they kicked all the groups out of their, their listings. They wouldn't allow them to be claimed as secular groups. Since this directly violated the, you know, the voting that had occurred to allow secular groups into AA, then the, the fucking secular groups had to sue the inner group. Where the fuck is the recovery in that? What would be the point, the purpose? The guy who, who like spearheaded this said, well, this is a religious program. We can exclude members if we feel like it. I'm fucking sorry. What? What? It's literally in the traditions. It's in, it's in all the work that everybody put in. To make sure that this kind of shit didn't happen. But it still happened. And people had to take it to fucking court, man. Like, it wasn't like just a couple people mad at the GS, you know, the General Assembly. Like it was in the past when people brought up atheism and people were like, grumble, grumble, grumble. That's not a part of our program. Higher power, God, God, God. That's different. That ultimately can be argued against and people can fight for what's right and things can happen to allow secular groups to be recognized and literature to be put out for the secular groups. Bill Wilson to talk more about it. Just, you know, more inclusivity. That's what would result from that. But to fucking like delist secular groups because your your beliefs are so fucking threatened by the fact that others don't believe. What's wrong with these people's faiths? And this just further solidifies where I stand on this. There is no way I would believe in anything that requires such an ego. How much ego does it take? This benevolent, omnipotent being that even the idea that others might not believe has to be omitted. It has to be erased. It has to be put down. Like that doesn't really scream in charge to me. That screams control issues and uh, a detriment to people that are in the recovery program, you know, like it's going to be harmful to folks who feel excluded. This is what I told the lady in a private message. Because at this point, I was pretty upset. I felt like it, as of now, like my sobriety is not threatened by this. I know that I'll find recovery and continue to work my program and everything ultimately will be fine for me. What I'm worried about is the newcomer. Again, I go back to the newcomer. I go back to that first person that enters the group or enters that group, that Facebook group, and is like, wow, this really is a cult. This is exactly a cult. This is literally what that means. We have a few people that are making major decisions for a large group of people that are based on their own personal dogmas that aren't grounded in any kind of reality. We're being told not to question any of the rules. Certain aspects of the program are kept secret because it might be harmful for people to find out the truth. And if you speak out of line, you're going to be silenced. 
So this is what the newcomer is going to see. Hopefully the newcomer doesn't go out and drink themselves to death before they find out that there's a different way of going about this. And look, I know there's folks out there that feel like that's an exaggeration. That, you know, excluding somebody from kind of some kind of recovery isn't going to just, you know, 100% kill them. That, you know, humans aren't that fragile. But that's just not the fucking case. There's some people that are going to come here because it's quote unquote the last house on the left and they're being told you're not welcome here. I know people that have gone out, gone back out drinking because they did not feel welcome in AA. I know people that have gone back out drinking because they felt like it was a cult. While I do understand that there are other programs out there, AA is the biggest one and it's the most world-renowned and it's the first one people think of most of the time. So yes, any instance where there's some sort of exclusion is going to be potentially harmful and dangerous to somebody. For some reason, people feel like they have to protect this program that's helped millions and millions of people and that is quote-unquote protected by fucking God. And by doing so, if somebody has a secular approach, they feel like they can't just say, hey, go check out Secular AA. Or even better, hey, you're still welcome here. How about you tell me about your experience? You tell me what you believe or don't believe. Help me understand. But no, no, fucking people can't come come to those kind of terms with that. Oh, somebody believes something different than me. I better tell them why they're wrong. They come in trying to run the, run the show, you know, just like the fucking book talks about. And look, I know there's personalities in these meetings. There's personalities in this group and, and people should be able to get over that. But at the same time, when when you're being told that your belief system is so wrong that you'll never get sober unless you change it. And at the core of your being, you believe that you're you're right about this then that's going to cause problems. It just is. I mean, this was the same kind of thing, albeit mildly in comparison, that was happening to people that were LGBTQ. They had to find and create their own meetings in AA because they didn't feel welcome in general AA. How could they? The dogma exists. These folks are hardcore Christians, sometimes fundamental Christians. They just are not going to accept that there's gay people. They're going to talk about they don't want to hear that kind of stuff when they share. So they have to go somewhere else and share privately with their own kind. None of that's acceptable, man. None of that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what I wrote to this lady. I know I got a little sidetracked on my little fucking rant here that's what i wrote this is what i wrote that lady last thing i said to her then i just i just said fuck it i blocked it i I just left it alone i really hope at some point in your sobriety you realize how harmful and detrimental it is to gatekeep recovery like you are right now barring someone from sharing their experience strength and hope because you simply don't agree with it is so dangerous to the newcomer so dangerous to those who just want to recover and lead a better life but are told they aren't welcome because they choose a different path than you and people like you I hope you find acceptance inside yourself and willingness to change, or at the very least, understand. I have never been told to keep my story to myself, but it has been implied, and people have attempted to diminish my recovery and those who work a similar program. What you're doing could cause others to drink by excluding them from even the last house on the block. Incredibly sad to see it happen in real time. Good luck with all that. Now, yeah, I probably could have left that alone. And again, I am probably working on a solid, you know, resentment over this. Is it going to cause me to drink? Nope. Nope, it's not. That's the last thing on my mind. What it is causing me to do is to double down on this this podcast, to start inserting myself further in other groups, and to be more vocal. I, I will absolutely continue to be vocal about the fact that there is another way of working this program that is approved by the fucking program, and that we need to be inclusive and accepting of others. The work should not only be on my shoulders, my it should not be just my burden to accept that everybody else in this program is probably religious. That acceptance has to go both ways. It has to. It has to go both ways or people are going to fucking die. I am of the mind 
that if somebody comes into AA, they're like, this program's not working for me. The first thought should be, well, there are other programs that might. Smart Recovery, Dharma Recovery, Secular AA, Agnostic AA, Quad A, Life Ring, fucking whatever. Like, there's other things. This isn't the only one. I don't have any experience with that, but let me get you started. Just know that you're not alone and that you're always welcome here. That should be the fucking message. Period, man. It should be the message of recovery. We should be carrying that message in all our affairs, even if it means telling people that AA might not be a good fit for them. Anyways, I think that's enough of my rant for now. So moving right along, the Daily Stoic reading for today is September 21st. Maintain composure. Maintain control. When forced, as it seems, by circumstances into utter confusion, get a hold of yourself quickly. Don't be locked out of the rhythm any longer than necessary. You'll be able to keep the beat if you are constantly returning to it. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations 611. We're going to get caught off guard from time to time, not just by black swan type events, a terrorist attack, or a financial panic, but also by minor, unexpected occurrences. Your car battery dies. Your friend cancels at the last minute. You suddenly don't feel well. These situations have a way of throwing us into confusion and disarray. We've made an assumption about the world and built plans on top of that assumption. Now that that assumption has collapsed, so too might our organization or understanding. That's perfectly okay. It happens. A line of infantrymen will face withering attacks. What's key is that they don't allow chaos to reign. Musicians will experience technical difficulties and lose their place from time to time. In both cases, it just matters that they get back into position as quickly as possible. The same is true for you today. The order and the peace might be interrupted by a new circumstances. Okay, get a hold of yourself and find your way back. I mean, of course, the reading would apply to the rant that I just went on in some way. Now, look, I don't have an actual resentment. Like, I do, right? I do have some kind of a general resentment, but it's not the kind that's going to be destructive in my life. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to work with my sponsor. I'm going to work the program so that it's not like this constant anger that boils over inside me because that's never going to do any good either. I can't just start attacking folks for not believing me or not feeling that my beliefs are valid or whatever. I can't live that way or that's going to just result in calamity for myself. So I wanted to get that out of the way. But this reading does apply for me. I had a couple instances that had come up recently that this really applies to. I have uh, I have the worst luck imaginable when it comes to cars. If there is some sort of a cosmic entity out there uh, it's decided that any car that i own no matter what age it is or what condition i keep it in or how well i take care of it or what i do with the car weird bullshit's gonna happen to it that just is completely fucking inexplicably un unexplainable uh no matter what and that seems like an exaggeration but literally every single car i've owned within a couple months something occurs that needs some sort of repair immediately and usually the repair is just fucking absurd uh but you know so that happened. I had two things. I had a, my check engine light came on because my catalytic converter was going out. My first thought was that it got stolen because I live in a city where people have decided that that's the best use of their time is to steal shit like that. Uh, but then I realized that it wasn't making the kind of noise that would require that. Uh, but ultimately, like the check engine light came on and I thought, okay, I better get this taken care of. I went and I checked the code. I uh, saw that it was probably something that could be repaired with a, a chemical treatment in the in the the fuel. Got the treatment, and sure enough, the light went out. I didn't like dissolve into the chaos that I usually do. Back in the day, I would have thrown a fucking fit. I would have thrown shit all over the place. I would have knocked stuff over. I would have drank. I would have just like cursed my life. Like it would have gotten really bad. There was some of that in the background. 
Like my brain wanted to go there, but I didn't find it as much of a struggle to keep my, my mind on track. So, you know, that that's definitely a, an improvement uh, to my situation. But then most recently, while using my window, uh, my driver's side window to get gas, just using it, you know, pushing the window down with the button, uh, the inside plastic parts that allow that to happen literally exploded into a hundred pieces and the window fell down and wouldn't come back up. The gears inside the motor spun out of control and the entire mechanism basically just fucking dynamited into a totally unworking mess. That pissed me off. I I was pretty fucking upset about that, but I figured, okay, I have the money to get this fixed. I'm in a good position. This is just sort of a thing that constantly happens to me. Uh, I'll get this taken care of. I looked up how to fix it myself because the repair at the auto body shop was going to be pretty expensive. I worked out, you know, this is probably something I can do. I've done auto body before. I know parts of this are going to be a pain in the ass no matter what the videos say, especially when it comes to the little plastic tabs that you pull on the door, right? But I figured, you know what? I can take care of this. No big deal. So I get the part. I'm taking everything apart. Everything's going really well. I'm following all the directions. I get it all together. I get the the, the window fixed. Uh, I'm going to put everything back together. And of course, it doesn't go back together like it's supposed to. None of these side panels on cars ever fucking do. I don't know how they get them in the first place. Part of the little plastic tabs that hold the door panel on broke. And then this other plastic thing for, you know, controlling the side mirrors broke. And now that's just a hole in my door. And the handle itself wouldn't snap back into place, even though it was just obvious how it would snap back into place. It just wasn't, I couldn't get the leverage on it. And the whole thing pissed me off and I I threw a little hissy fit. Not going to fucking lie. I mean, a part of me wanted to just throw the keys as far into a river as I possibly could and then push the car in after him. Like, I just, I was so mad. Like, it wasn't really that I was mad. It was just defeated. Like, this is something that just has constantly happened to me. And it's not like it's a matter of changing my will or my life or, like, whatever fucking tasks I've given myself to become a better person. This is just an aspect of my life that nothing seems to affect. So... I just had to accept it, but I'm not going to lie. I allowed myself to be angry. I sat in my car and I stewed for a few minutes till it passed. I didn't tell myself I was being stupid for acting that way. I didn't put myself down for, you know, how shitty of a situation I continue to put myself in by having garbage ass cars. I, you know, I just, okay, this sucks. And I went in and I told my girlfriend about it and she's like trying to console me. And I was like, look, you know, I just... I just need you to allow me to be upset about this for a little bit and then we can work on a a solution. But for now, I just need to be upset. I just need to let this out. I just need to rant a little bit and it'll be over. But sure enough, I ranted it, you know, got got myself through it. I was like, you know what? The window works. The car is now secure. That was my biggest concern. Uh, I'm not selling the car anytime soon. I just have to deal with the fact that the door panel flaps around and it's, you know, this is just, I can embrace the fact that this is just part of my life. <laughs> this is just the character of my world. Like parts of my things won't work properly. And that's just how it goes. But ultimately the car runs fine. It gets me to work. I can afford it barely, but I can afford it. Nothing major happened. The whole time that the window wasn't working, it was over a weekend, nobody broke in. Like, there was a lot that I could really focus on. There wasn't any reason to allow that to just completely derail me into chaos, which is usually my MO. That was usually how I would go with it. So, yeah, the reading kind of spoke to that, you know. I think ultimately what I'm trying to say is it's, it's okay to be upset about things. It's not like a backslide. You're not, like, failing at life. To be upset, to be genuinely mad, you know, to want to throw a little bit of a fit, as long as it's contained and reasonable. 
Like, don't actually, like, I, I would have broken my car before. There, I, cause I, I get, I would get that upset. You know, I would get little kid mad and start banging on shit. I didn't do that. I threw my bags and my, I threw my tools that I was working with in the bag. I sat down and was like, this is stupid. This car is stupid. Threw my little fit and that was it. Just moved on. And the rest of my day was fine. I wasn't pissy at other people. I wasn't, you know, upset with myself. My car worked fine. Like, you know, this is the, the point, the whole purpose, you know, just like things like that used to just fuck my whole day up. And that would have affected every aspect of my day. It would have affected how I treated other people. And then on top of that, I would have gone out and drank. And then the drinking would have led to me just being even more verbally obnoxious. I'd start an argument with my girlfriend that nobody could win over nothing. You know, I'd get upset at her son and not a kind of upset that was reasonable where I talked to him like I do my girlfriend's son now. The kind where I just yelled at him for shit that, you know, kids do. I'm so glad I don't do those things anymore. You know, after I was done with all that crap, I cleaned my hands up. I, I went inside and my my girlfriend's son had come out a couple times and said, hey, you know, I'd really like to, to throw the, the ball around with you if you got a chance. And I said, yeah, absolutely. If if not today, then we'll definitely tomorrow. It just depends on how how soon I can get this done. And even though I was upset, I said, hey, let's go, you know, throw throw the football. And we played some football. I taught him how to throw the, the ball a little better because his hands are smaller. He was holding the, the ball weird, you know. We, we had a little moment, played together, and I wasn't an asshole to him. I didn't let any of that affect me. So, yeah, man. <laughs> This program works. I, I Even if you don't have a God, it really does. I didn't learn that stuff on my own. Obvious stuff, not being an asshole to people. But it doesn't mean it's something that's easy to do when you're stuck in your own self and you're an egotistical narcissist sometimes. So, you know, thanks, thank you, AA, and other things like it for helping me get my, my shit together. Treat people with respect. All right, let's get into the reading. If I remember correctly... Where we left off was the uh, the beginning of page seventy nine, uh, and this is this is hopefully the final uh, portion of into action. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. I'm actually surprised that that is back then. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given uh, strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Now, I may have mentioned this in the previous one, but I'll mention it again because it's worth just kind of reiterating. Uh, if for some reason, whatever you feel you need to make reparations for could potentially lead you to going to jail, seek legal counsel. Do not rely on your sponsor to give you that counsel. Do not rely on other people in the program. Don't rely on other alcoholics who are also lawyers. Seek professional legal counsel that is in your corner to make sure that you go about that the right way. Because there could be a solution that not only makes those reparations possible, but leaves you in a position to still continue to take care of your family, loved ones, whatever it is you need to take care of. There's no reason to just postulate yourself at the mercy of the courts. Like, that's not always the best option. I'm not saying, like, skirt your responsibilities. I'm just saying go into it smartly. Go, you know, go into it with a, with a, a decision that you want to do the right thing the right way. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to have himself or save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. 
She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. See, it's basically addressing that. I mean, it's doing it with the alimony thing, but I guess that makes sense to the time. I don't think that's really as common now. I don't think you can get somebody arrested for not paying alimony, but I could be wrong. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary. But if we were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her he would, uh, what he would try to do in the future. He said he was willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. See, the reason why I say that is because of this part right here. He was perfectly willing to go, and of course, she insisted not. I just because our program is designed to absolve us of you know these resentments that we have built up over the years doesn't mean that other people are not going to have those resentments just because we got sober. People are crazy, man. Exes can be crazy, male or female. There's a wide list and range of the 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 insanity that people could experience that are is untreated and just because we're seeking treatment for our stuff doesn't mean that others are and it doesn't mean that we put ourselves in a position that we're under their judgment you know this isn't like it said we're not trying to martyr ourselves we're not trying to sacrifice our, ourselves we're trying to do what's right if my sponsee come to me and said hey here's my situation i haven't been paying the first wife and you know she's a little upset and the second wife's a little worried about things i wouldn't be like just write her a letter I mean, try to work things out, but if it's if it's a situation where that's not possible, be prepared with legal support. <laughs> you know, can consult a lawyer. If you're in a situation where you're contractually obligated to pay somebody money, try to mediate, but do so legally. Just trust me. <laughs> At times, there's people that are going to want to work with you outside of the legal systems, but they can do that if you go the legal route still. But you can still have that protection when you go that way. I mean, presenting this with a lawyer would have so potentially resulted in the same, no, it's fine. You're doing well. Let's let's go about it this way. But also gives you that protection anyways. Just don't don't just go into things willy-nilly and half-cocked thinking that you're going to save the world now that you're sober. Everybody's going to understand and they're all going to just be accepting. And don't set yourself up for failure that way. Don't assume that nobody will. Just don't assume that everybody will. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, asked God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. This is basically saying if there's no other thing that's standing in your way, even if it might make you uncomfortable, just be prepared to actually go forward with it. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. <laughs> I love Bilbo and there's no no way to know if this is a real story. He felt that he'd done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take these risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would start drinking again and all would be lost in anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all 
happened years ago. I, whatever. <laughs> That's just all I'm going to say about that story. Like, I get, look, man, I've said it a few times. I get Bill Wilson's need to do this to kind of like throw these stories in here and sell people and whatever, and that's fine. What I feel like this is saying is that if you aren't met with this result, then you didn't ask God properly or you weren't deserving of it or, you know what I mean? Like, this is just basically making it seem like that if you don't ask for God's favor in a certain way, then you're going to be met with a hard time, you know, solving these problems. And that's not true either. Plenty of people in these programs who believe in a God and have, you know, postulated themselves in front of his Lord and Savior or her Lord and Savior have still ended up having bad results. That's the thing that you need to be prepared for. And I don't feel like they're doing a good job of that. Not everybody's going to be accepting of this. And it says that a little bit, but it's glossing over that sometimes people are not going to react kindly to the fact that just because you're sober and saying sorry that it means anything, you need to steel yourself against that. You need to be prepared for that. Just because they look at you now and still see the person you were isn't a result of who you are now. That's what's important. You may have to prove this to people. You may have to work hard to prove this to people. And that's okay. Like, some of this is going to be difficult. Now, that's not to say that some of the amends I've made that I thought were going to be the most difficult didn't end up being the easiest and have the best resolutions, that sometimes that happens. But sometimes something that I feel is minor is met with scorn. There was a girl that I, uh, you know, had had a, a situation with. We'd slept together and I thought things had ended pretty amicably. We were still in communication. We were still friends. And then some situation occurred where, you know, we kind of had this drunken argument and falling out. And that was basically the end of that. It wasn't even really anything caustic. We just argued about something that was trivial, had kind of, a, you know, an explosive back and forth. And then things ended. When I went to make amends to that person, I was met with all kinds of hatred and visceral, just violent, almost, behavior. While some of that maybe was warranted, it wasn't expected. I, I didn't really have much of an expectation, but I wasn't expecting that. I did, it wasn't like I expected that we were going to suddenly be friends again, but I didn't expect that the person would hate me like that. Our interaction didn't really seem to warrant that, but I don't know what other people are thinking. I don't know what other people are feeling. I don't know what emotions are going through them. She could have had very strong feelings for me, and I didn't see that. And as a result, I left her harmed harder, or, you know, in a way that I, I didn't actually foresee. You know, that could be resulting in an, a, a resentment that that person's harboring. And, you know, it's not my job to decide for them that they shouldn't have that. But I was prepared. Like I, you know, was, it was a very surprising reaction and it took me, it definitely took me off guard, but I worked with my sponsor on it and I talked about it and we went over it and I went through the book in some aspects or maybe I didn't go through the book directly, but you know, I spoke about it at a meeting. I spoke about it with some friends. I did the right thing. Like I did my best there. I can't cure how she feels about me. I didn't turn it into an argument. I didn't continue with it. I said, I'm sorry that you feel this way. I apologize for what I've done. I, I can't force you to accept that but i'm not i'm not gonna allow you to talk to me this way as a result like you've said your piece i've said my piece we're gonna have to go our separate ways and i ended up blocking her i haven't talked to her since there's no reason for me to now if she decides to come to me with an explanation of some kind or maybe she's struggling with her own substances uh and she's like hey you know i was a dick 
I'll be open to that. Like that's our job too. We need to be open to others who are trying to um, express some kind of an amends, right? That's that comes with us not holding the resentments. But for now, I don't really see a purpose in communicating with this person if that's how they're going to act to me. But I needed to be prepared for that. So that's where the book comes in. That's where a sponsor comes in. That's where having a community comes in. Uh, just, you know, this book doesn't really always do a great job of letting us know that, hey, it's not always going to be peaches and sunshines and unicorns and rainbows. It's not always going to be like God God just shines a light down on us as we're shouting from the pulpit about how we harm somebody. And everybody's like, well, well gee golly, son, you're the best darn man in our town. We're going to give you the key to the city. The chances are... That we have domestic problems. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in fashion we couldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins, the husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around at the nightclubs, or other equivalent, for something besides liquor. This is like, I has to be speaking from personal experience, right? I mean... Yeah, some of my relationships have ended this way, but not all of them. You know, I didn't cheat on, I didn't really cheat on anybody. My gaze, I guess, wavered. There were times I flirted. I don't know. This, I get, this just seems very specific. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is a married or loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. That's why it seems like it's personal. Like he sounds like this is Bill Wilson talking potentially about a time that he cheated on Lois, who was just incredibly loyal to him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Uh, not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to uh, say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. God willing. I don't think God's what's stopping you, bud. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable expectations, and though we wish to lay down to rule of any sort, we have often found this the best course to take. Our design for living is not a, way, a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so, sh so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealously. Okay, I don't know about this one. <laughs> like, if you've had an affair with your wife, again, that's not something that you should just kind of go into willy-nilly. You might not even be able to get the answers you need from your sponsor. Like, it's your marriage. You know, if you've stepped out of your marriage, it might be a good idea to speak to a counselor about that. Or, or consider having your relationship involved in couples counseling and have that be where the affairs express like don't don't just go home and be like honey i'm sober and uh by the way i've been banging the neighbor and just hope that'll resolve things like it it does express not to go into things 
harmfully, but also it's not really doing a very good job telling you uh, maybe some of these things should be handled with, with people. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face battle. If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly, he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. Now, I do agree that at times, that the if the only thing that you can do is just maintain sobriety, that you're still doing a service to others. Because even as sober people, typically, we are operating at a higher capacity of morality than we were when we were drinking. It's not something to rest on, but, you know, if that's the least you can do in that moment, that's okay. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents, whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding as the patients mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today, would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderable habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the uh, farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, Don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Now, I do believe that the first place you should clean house is at home. Like, you don't get sober and then decide that you're going to go to everybody else and fix all these things with all these other people while leaving the mess at home. Like, that's avoidance. It's also just really shitty to the people that have been close to you. You know, the ones that are closest to the ones hurt the hardest. They're the ones that see the most. They're the ones that are dealt the biggest blows. And that should be the first step. That should be where you start cleaning first with yourself internally and then the next person that sits next to you. Your wife, your kids, your husband, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your parents, your siblings. If you don't have family like I really didn't, then the next step is whoever is the closest. Who, who are the people that you've known the longest? Like the people that, that really rode right in the streetcar next to you. Like just... Make sure you're not waiting to get to them until you're a little better. You know, work with them first. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought to not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. (laughs) Okay. Maybe not. That's also a thing. Just because you found whatever it is that you have found, don't expect anybody else to find the same thing. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness uh, would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. 
We sent them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. This is the be willing part. You know, there's there's just things that you just won't always be able to fix right away, but be willing to fix them when those opportunities may present themselves. Maybe as they're saying, there's somebody that's passed away, but then along the lines, you meet somebody that reminds you of that person and you're able to help them in a unique way. That could count. I don't see why not. There's just situations that might occur, but just understand that there's sometimes you're just not going to be able to fix the things that, that should be fixed. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone, I, evidently unless it's God, right? If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We shall comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. So, yeah, I mean, regret and resentment go hand in hand. Like, I, it'd be really easy for me to look at my past and think, you know, if I'd have done X, Y, or Z differently, then other people's lives would have been a lot better. But it doesn't do any good, you know? That whole saying, like, one foot in yesterday, one foot in tomorrow, pissing on today. Like, I, I'm not of a mind that you should never consider the past or the future, but you should definitely be aware of the fact that today is the day that's counting right now. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Hopefully. This is all hopefully. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. If you haven't been to a meeting, this is what they read as part of the promises, quote-unquote. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. I will say that this has been true for me. Over the years, it's gotten a lot easier for me to kind of deal with things, like with my car. You know, while I was upset, it was a hell of a lot easier for me to handle that situation than it, that's ever really been in my life. You know, it was like, okay, this is the thing I need to take care of. A lot of that came from me having worked this program. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Well, yeah, whatever. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. And that's important too. Just because you have two years of sober, or two years of sobriety, and for some reason, you know, these promises aren't being realized the same way as the dude across the way who's only got six months. I mean, that's just life, man. Like, they don't, this is, the, there's no rushing this. There's no need to rush this. Uh, there's no need to rush it because somebody else is getting these things faster. I will never realize some of the promises that others have. I may never own a home and I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, that's just how things might go for me, no matter how, how well I work this program. Uh, but finding contentment with the things I have is a, is a happiness I've never really felt before. And I'll take that over a home any day. Not saying that if anybody's got a home out there, they want to just gift me that I'm going to be like, nah, man, don't do that. But you know what I mean? This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new wrongs as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When those crop up, we ask God as one at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we uh, resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. That 
Definitely. Anytime I see somebody struggling, I suggest, you know, just get outside of yourself for a little bit and help somebody else. It doesn't have to be even anybody in the program. Just, you know, somebody. You know, go online and find out if there's a place around where you can volunteer your time. You know, get some soups together and take them down to folks that are homeless. Write a letter to somebody that's that's in another country. Like something. Just do something that's not just for you. And I'd say 98% of the time it helps me feel better like it just helps me get get my mind kind of running in a different speed and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol for by this time sanity will have returned we will seldom be interested in liquor if tempted recoil we recoil from it as if from a hot flame i don't know if that's ever really something that happens to anybody we react sanely and normally and we will find that this has happened automatically we will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part just comes that is the miracle of it we are not fighting it neither are we avoiding temptation we feel as though uh, we have been placed in a position of neutrality safe and protected we've not even sworn off instead the problem has been removed now this for me is true this is exactly true i i don't like daily have to rigorously tell myself i'm not going to drink today it's just not a part of my life anymore my relationship with alcohol has completely changed and i do give a lot of credit to the program for that part of it was just that light switch moment that occurred when i woke up still alive uh but part of it is just i've been able to live in a way that is is obviously better so obvious that even the thought of drinking even if even if it could benefit me in some way and just help me relax or something i don't find a need for that it's just not a part of my life it does not exist for us we are neither cocky nor are we afraid and that's exactly where i'm in like i don't think i should start going to the bar every night uh because i've won alcohol can't you know beat me but at the same time like i'm not scared to go to the bar and hang out with my friends that is our experience that is how we react as so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels we are headed for trouble if we do for our alcohol is a subtle foe we are not cured of alcoholism what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition this is kind of where the one day at a time time thing comes in and i'm a fan of that like i like the idea of just focusing on right now if you can you know you just have to stay sober today you could drink tomorrow every day is a day when we must carry the vision of god's will into all of our activities how can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. I Okay, so yeah, how can I be better service of you know, others? How can I be a better person? How can I, how can I put one foot forward uh, in a way that's not creating more damage? That's, that's the stuff we should be regularly thinking about. Much has already been said about uh, receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this visual, uh, vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. So this is that psychological awakening that I talk about. You, you, the, more, the more often that you do good things and make the right choices, the easier that part of your life becomes. It's just kind of how it is. 
If you stop acting and reacting selfishly to things, it becomes easier not to act and react selfishly to things. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than us are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definitive and valuable suggestions. Realistically, the whole, I'm going to tell you right now that realistically, the whole like concept of prayer is... It's, it's just like, it's just like, op- just asking the universe for things without the expectation of actually getting them and without it being some kind of re- reward, but putting things out of the universe just seems to help internalize them for me. Like just saying something like, I'm going to start a podcast, saying it out loud, you know, telling, telling the universe, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it to help others. You know, that's, was the first step for me. And in a lot of ways, that is a prayer. Like it was like the, the verbiage was similar and it was all internalized. Of course, I didn't talk to some celestial being, but I did say, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. This is our plan of action. And I had conviction behind it and I had faith and belief behind it. And then I made it happen, you know, and I'm not saying that this is all like goal oriented, like you have to pray about goals or whatever, but that's just kind of what they're really talking about. Like, I, I have this issue with this person I work with and I'm going to, this is my resolve. I'm going to actively work on this. I'm going to make this a better aspect of my life. I'm going to go in tomorrow with the understanding that, you know, this person, I'm going to treat them with kindness and respect, even if I don't feel that that's what I'm getting back, you know, just things like that. When we retire at night, constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures we could be taking. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. I use the daily stoic to help me kind of lead my day. Uh, You can use something similar. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance for all God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration inspiration, and intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. Uh, this is just sort of like, you know, the, the more often that you think of doing good in a good way that it just sort of becomes second nature. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. I mean, you know, pray for whatever. Like, just don't don't just focus on yourself. That's that's the main message there. Like, it's really easy to start your day off with, like, oh, I'm going to get, like, the best 
I'm going to do the best and get this promotion and all me, 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 when there's other things that you could be thinking about that can still benefit you, you know? Uh, if circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious uh, denomination, which requires a uh, definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious, religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also, suggestions about how we may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right make use of what they offer i don't don't be quick like i mean there's there are some things that they do that is helpful like meditation is helpful and it doesn't have to come with prayer it doesn't have to come from a rabbi don't go talking to a minister about how you as an atheist can pray better it doesn't make any sense as we go through the day we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action now pausing when agitated is a very big motto for me it's definitely something i do regularly that's helped me the most whenever i'm about to get all irritated and all up in arms about something i just take a deep second and i think you know is this really like what is the outcome here i try to play that tape forward you know maybe that tape doesn't result in me drinking but it does result oftentimes in me saying some just stupid shit we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show humbly saying to ourselves many times each day thy will be done we are then in much less danger of excitement fear anger worry self-pity or foolish decisions we become much more efficient we do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves it works it really does like i don't know about the energy thing because my energy levels are all over the place but i definitely feel like that when i start my day off on the right foot then things just tend to go okay for me even when they're not going okay for me and that really comes down to my attitude and my willingness to be able to sort of like roll with the punches we alcoholics are undisciplined so we let god discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined uh but this is not all there is action and more action faith without works is dead the next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. I'm going to be honest, that felt like the longest chapter in the world. I don't know if it's just because of the time that I chose to read it or because of my rant beforehand or what, but even broken up into two portions, it almost took up an hour each. Like, it's just a very long chapter. Now, there is a lot in there. It's a meaty chapter. There's a lot of work that can be done, and most of the program exists in those two chapters, the one that was read before this and then this two-parter. So that makes sense. So, you know, this just as a reminder, I, I didn't bring it up before, but my, you know, my social media is the best way to reach me. If you have any feedback, any feedback about what I said uh, before, any experiences where you felt ostracized from a group, like I'm not looking for AA bashing, um, but any, any moments where you felt that like somebody was making it seem like you weren't welcome, you know, let me know about this stuff. Because it, it should be shared and expressed and, and it should be something that others should know about. You know, when I mentioned that this was the kind of stuff that happened to me fairly regularly, uh, it just was met with like disbelief. Like there's no way. And it is. It is something that happens fairly often. So I can't be the only one. So let me know about it. Let me know what you guys are going through and what you're struggling with. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, my handle is anatheistin. You can find me on Instagram atheist underscore in underscore aa you can find me on facebook at an atheist reads the big book of aa you can send me a direct email at one atheist in aa at gmail.com i try to make it as easy as possible for people to reach out to me um, another thing that you can do that would be really helpful is if you could give this a rating on apple podcasts or share with people that you know that might benefit from it or just kind of get the word out um, i'd really like to see more people 
be able to have a chance or an opportunity to learn from this stuff and have more people interact with me on social media so that I have kind of an ear of, you know, who is benefiting and who isn't. I have some folks that I interact with fairly regularly now, and it's really helped me with my own sobriety, but I feel like I'm helping them with theirs. So, you know, that's what this is all about. Like just getting people in touch with others, um, finding a way to to, to be of benefit and service to each other and, uh, you know, to make AA more inclusive. And again, I think some people are going to just kind of grow their way out of AA and go into other programs and that's totally fine. But while you're here, you should feel safe here, period. So, uh, you know, thank you for joining me on this. I appreciate every single one of you and I hope to have you back here in the next episode. Thank you for helping to keep me sober one more day.